Hello, I'm Daisy. And I'm Emma Hahn. We are the executive directors of the Bright Eyed's first ever Teen Changemaker Conference. TCMCon is a virtual conference on July 26th to the 30th that aims to inspire, equip, and empower teens to make a difference. Attend masterclasses and workshops led by professionals, panel events with inspiring teens, and get the chance to meet people from all over the world, all from the comfort of your home. Register for free at tcmcon.carrd.co and follow us on Instagram at TeenChangemakerCon for updates. Hope to see you there! Welcome to The Bright-Eyed, a podcast dedicated toward empowering teens to make a difference. Each week, I interview inspiring teens from all over the world to help share their story and talk about important global issues. Tune in to start your week feeling a little more inspired and empowered to make a change. We are more than capable of changing our world for the better. Let's see who's rising to the occasion. I'm your host, Daisy No, and this is The Bright-Eyed. Welcome to the very first episode of The Bright Eyed Season 3. Today, I'm interviewing a very inspiring teen. Her name is Stephanie Hu, and she is a high school senior based in Southern California. Stephanie is the founder and executive director of Dear Asian Youth, the co-founder of CUSD Against Racism as well. Her identity as a Chinese American has pushed her to passionately uplift marginalized voices into intersectional activism. Stephanie's organization, Dear Asian Youth, or DAY, currently has over 150 chapters around the world, 300 works of literature, um, and so much more, and we're going to get into it in the episode. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. It's so good to have you here. Yeah, it's amazing to be here, Daisy. It's awesome to meet you. Yes, I am a super fan of Dear Asian Youth, so this is uh, me asking podcast questions for listeners, but also being excited to learn more about your organization. (laughs) Um, so we mentioned this in the bio, but you run an organization called Dear Asian Youth. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about it and what inspired you to start it? Yeah, so Dear Asian Youth um, actually was only meant to be like a place where I could publish my own poetry. Um, and it was really founded April 30th of 2020. So we actually just celebrated our one year anniversary not too long ago. Um, and yeah, it was supposed to be a platform where I could just like publish some of my own poetry. And then I found that a lot of the poetry that I was writing was surrounding my Asian identity. And then through that, you know, I had some friends join in and start contributing their pieces. And then it just like slowly spiraled from a um, poetry blog into like this online magazine sort of thing. And then we started to add like a bunch of different initiatives. Um, And then now it kind of spiraled into like this full-fledged organization, which I did not expect at all, but I also wouldn't trade it for anything else. Yes, your guys' story is absolutely incredible. And the way that you kind of started from, I'm just going to publish some poetry and see where it happens. And you inspired so many people that now you are the enormous organization that you are. That's super awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, and something I admire about Dear Asian Youth, I hadn't seen a whole lot of like Asian-centered activist organizations before, so that's kind of what drew me in. But another element of it is you guys are really great about doing intersectional activism. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. So why is intersectionality significant to activism and how has that changed or inspired what you do at day? Yeah, so I think here at Dear Asian Youth, something that we really, really try to recognize and embody is that 
Um, you know, there's not only one part of your identity that affects you. Like, for example, for me, I'm Asian, but that's not the only thing that affects the way that I'm treated or viewed in the world. Um, so that's why it's so important for us when we're talking about like intersectional identities that we take into account all of these other factors that are affecting how you're treated in the world. So, you know, whether that be your race or ethnicity or like what what religion you practice or what um, gender you identify with or what your sexuality is. Those are all things that are very important to us um, and that we really try to like explore. Um, and something else at Dear Asian Youth that we also really, really try to embody through our activism is also like diversity within the Asian community. Um, so we always try to, um, I guess, like promote discourse um, that isn't only centered around like a certain type of Asian, I guess you could say. Because a lot of the times the movements that are, um, I guess, most popular, especially within the Asian community are often those um, that are represented by like East Asian activists. So we really want to try to make sure that all Asian voices are heard and represented, especially for, um, you know, like South Asian, Central Asians, West Asians and Southeast Asians. And you guys have done so many incredible things over the past year and a little bit more um, from magazine publishing to your conferences and a ton of other collaborations that were incredible. Um, what has been your favorite one so far? It might be hard to choose. And why do you think it's close to your heart? Yeah, so something that Dear Asian Youth really, really put a lot of time and resources into and love, of course, is the Women of Color Conference. And that's something that is also very close to my heart that I worked really hard on. Um, so the Women of Color Conference was a collaborative two-day virtual conference between Dear Asian Youth and three other organizations, including Generations, Diversifier Narrative, and Afropuff Chronicles, um, which are all headed by amazing, um, you know, women who are really just like, just have these amazing youth organizations. Um, and what the conference really works to do is to empower girls of color to chase after their own dreams. And we did that in bring, by bringing in a bunch of like really just amazing women of color who have paved the way for girls of color in their own respective industries and making it so that these girls of color who are coming as like audience members are exposed to the wisdom and like the experiences of our panelists. Um, so we had like career oriented um, panels and then we also were um, able to launch a scholarship program where we had like more than $4,000 in scholarships. And then we are also able to connect a lot of girls of color with um, our panelists through a mentorship program. Um, in addition to like a few other initiatives launched during the conference, including, you know, like a little um, concert, I guess a concert session where we piece together a bunch of like videos from um, women of color performers, which was super amazing. Um, and then we also had like a wellness section session, which was led by a mental health specialist. Um, so yeah, it was like a bunch of super cool things that were focused on wellness, healing and empowering girls of color. Um, and this is something that really I worked 
a lot on. Um, I was actually the co-executive director of the conference. Um, so we had like a team of, I think almost like 60 people and all of us were just working every single day to put on this huge event. Um, and then we, and honestly, none of us really had any experience hosting a conference like this. Like none of us had hosted a conference before. So it was definitely, um, you know, we faced our challenges and it was hard trying to figure everything out, trying to market the conference, trying to plan the conference, trying to get our speakers, put on all of these like different initiatives that we wanted to put on. But at the end, um, it all tied together and we were able to um, attract almost like 5,000 girls of color to our conference. So that was super amazing. Yeah. And it was just like, just, it was beautiful seeing um, something that I had worked on for more than six months um, come to life, come to life and um, also be able to see, you know, just the incredible amount of bonding that occurred at the conference. Like everybody was interacting with each other in the chat. Um, everybody was like hyping each other up. Um, there were some amazing conversations that occurred and um, something that we kind of received from a lot of our attendees were that they were able to make these really, really close connections and friendships with other attendees. So it was really amazing to see like through this conference, our attendees were able to really create very meaningful friendships um, and connect with each other. So that was something that was like, that I was very proud of and very honored to be a part of. That sounds absolutely incredible. And from, I guess, the feedback that you were telling us about, that must have been an amazing event. And it was virtual, yes? Yeah, yeah, it was completely virtual. Wow, you got, you like provided people with an opportunity to connect with people in a virtual format. That is an outstanding feat on its own. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was definitely like, um, it was pretty nerve wracking the, the days leading up to the conference, like um, the two weeks leading up to the conference. I just remember spending hours working on it every day. Um, we were a little bit worried about like registration numbers at first, but then we ended up getting it up. Um, it was just like very, it was very stressful leading up to it, but also being able to work with such a great team and being able to like do cross team collaboration with other organizations and being able to meet so many people too was just amazing because even though I was so stressed out leading up to the big two-day event, um, I was also able to receive support from an amazing support system um, and able to create friendships during that entire process. Right. It sounds like a really great experience. And is that, you know, kind of conference something that you had seen in the past or was, you know, featuring women of color something mm -hmm. new that you guys are trying to do? Yeah, I think the whole reason why we put it on in the first place was because we really hadn't seen anything like it before. Um, you know, like we really didn't see anything that was completely accessible and that was completely virtual um, and that was dedicated to girls of color. So um, something that was very, very important to us was making sure that the conference was free of charge. Um, and also, I think by making it virtual, um, it was it made it so that it was very accessible and anybody could attend if they wanted to. So we really wanted to just like also it was something that was um, I guess, hosted by a bunch of teenagers, mostly high school students. 
So all of these like factors combined, you know, the accessibility of it, who was hosting it, and also the mission were all things that we hadn't really seen before, which is why I think we were so passionate about putting it on in the first place. That's amazing. And um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think I've seen a whole lot of women of color featured in conferences like this. Like you look at a speaker lineup and it's not really as diverse. And as someone who can't identify with people speaking at a conference like that, it's really hard to relate and connect. So um, that's such a cool concept. I'm so glad it went so well. Um, and it's just kind of one example of how Dear Asian Youth, amongst other awesome organizations, are making an impact. And I'd love to talk a little bit about how Dear Asian Youth has impacted you as well in terms of your growth. So how have you seen yourself change over the course of this past year? Yeah, so that's actually a great question because I think looking back, um, I think I'm almost like I, I changed a lot. And I think for the better in the past year, I grew a lot as a person and I've also matured a lot through, you know, being the executive director at day. Um, I think something that, you know, I had especially struggled with in the beginning was this feeling of imposter syndrome um because I was leading like such a big team and it was really my first time entering like an activist nonprofit sphere I was like shitting my pants half the time um like (laughs) yeah like as I explained before you know the creation of Dear Asian Youth was entirely spontaneous it wasn't supposed to be a big organization. So when it ended up becoming one, I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. Like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, And I don't even know if I have the credibility or the experience or the leadership to guide this team. Like, I felt I was thrown into a situation that I wasn't prepared for at all. And at the same time, I really didn't feel like I had anybody that I could reach out to and ask for help and for guidance. Um, So because of that, and because we have so many qualified, amazing individuals on our team, I think I just felt very um inadequate a lot of the times especially in the beginning months um I remember I I would stay up like it was during the summer so I would stay up until like 5 or 6 a.m every single day just working on series and you yeah it was all I did and I think I did that because I felt so inadequate so I felt like I had to make up for it by like you know, putting X, Y, Z amount of time into the organization. And I also think that every time something didn't work, for example, like if our, you know, literature team structure didn't end up working, a lot of the times I would blame that on myself um, when, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily my fault. Maybe it wasn't anybody's fault. Um, so I think, you know, at the beginning, it was just really tough for me um, because I would take every single uh, failure as, I guess, a testament to my own ability to lead. Um, and then I think over time, I realized that, you know, I am capable, I am worthy to be in this position, and I do have the skills that it takes to support such a team. Even if, you know, these people are older than me and are, you know, like know a lot and are just amazing individuals, I Um, also have the credibility to be here. Um, So I think realizing that has really made, 
been really helpful in building up my own confidence. So I think as opposed to a year ago, I'm a lot more of a confident person now and I trust in my abilities. Um, And I think another very, very important thing that I learned was, um, you know, the importance of diversity and inclusion. So um, at the beginning of Dear Asian Youth's journey, because, you know, I'm Chinese, I'm East Asian, and it wasn't really meant to be this, you know, thing that was for other people at first. It was only supposed to be something for me personally, because it was my supposed to be my poetry blog. So, um, you know, at the very beginning, a lot of the content that I was producing was very much like East Asian focused. And then as the team grew bigger and bigger and we changed um, the mission, I guess, from something that really was for me to something that was supposed to be a a community for all Asian people, um, then came to the question of like diversity and inclusion. And I think I really, really recognize that like this is beyond me and my own experiences now. This is also like supposed to serve as a space for non-East Asians. And that includes like South Asians, West Asians, Central Asians, Southeast Asians, and North Asians. Um, So then being able to take a step back and realize like, this isn't only a space for me now, this is a space for all Asians. And here's what I can do to make sure that this space is is diverse and inclusive um, was also something that I learned um, along the way. And I'm proud to say that a lot of the um, you know, that the content that Dear Asian produces today is um, inclusive of, you know, Asian identities and that we have a pretty diverse team. But obviously, there's always work to do. Um, there's always more that we can do. And I think that's also something that I learned that, you know, I learned through this process is the importance of being humble, the importance of having humility and recognizing that, like, yes, we've accomplished this much, but there's still so much that we can do to be better and be better advocates for the Asian community. Right. I agree. And uh, just seeing how kind of Dear Asian Youth has opened your eyes to the importance of diversity, was that something that inspired you to take action at your own school through um, CUSD Against Racism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so CUSD Against Racism is a um, group that I helped co-found in my own school district that really um, works to amplify BIPOC voices within Capuchana Unified School District. And it was founded, I think, only like two months after Dear Asian Youth was founded. Um, but, you know, it was something that I actually co-founded with a bunch of other um, alumni. So people who actually had already graduated. Um, so it was co-founded with three other people. Um, so four, including myself. And I think, um, I think, I guess the, I guess the, the, the journey behind like Dear Asian Youth and CUSD Against Racism is quite different. I think for CUSD Against Racism too, it was also like very spontaneous, but I think that the catalyst in establishing the organization was like first recognizing that my school district really wasn't doing a lot to support its students of color. Um, and then so um, me and a couple friends of mine actually ended up hosting a rally. And then at the rally, we were able to um, 
I guess, collect more than 850 testimonies from students of color detailing their racial trauma in our school district. Um, So it was after the rally was hosted. It was after we collected those 850 testimonies that we were like, there is a real problem within our school district and that needs to change. So that's when we established CUSD against racism. Um, but yeah, it was also like a pretty spontaneous process um, where it really started off as a rally. What are some ways that you're kind of doing that and like making sure that your school district is, you know, addressing the needs of BIPOC students in your school district? Yeah. So um, what we do currently is we have like six task forces across our um, six high schools in CUSD. And each of those task forces really focus on how to implement changes within their school, within their schools. So they really focus on school specific changes. So that's one way that we're working towards change. And another way is CUSD Against Racism, especially the three other co-founders and I um, are really in active communication with administration. Um, so we have like monthly meetings at the Cultural Proficiency Task Force. We've helped draft their three-year plan. Um, we have really done a lot of like mobilizing around creating a statement for um, in support of BIPOC students. So um, we've actually been trying to get a statement in support of Asian families for a while because of like the Stop Asian Hate Movement. Um, But honestly, it's pretty difficult dealing with a school district, um, as I'm sure that like many listeners can relate to. Um, But yeah, we're we're actively trying to have them like support our, our students, our students of color. That's, that's amazing. And I'm so excited to see kind of what that inspires. I know we're graduating in a year, um, but I'm sure that work will carry on and definitely continue after you leave the school district. Um, And so for listeners who also see issues like that in their own schools, in their school districts, what are some ways that teens can act like advocate for greater equality and inclusion at their own schools? Yeah. So um, I think the first thing is if there isn't a space for students of color within your school district, then create it. I think that was something that I had felt like all all throughout my years at in my school district, I never felt like there was a space that was built for people who looked like me and built for other students of color. Um, and after recognizing that and trying to find that space for so long, I was like, if it's not established, then I might as well make one. Um, So that's a way. But I also think that a lot of school districts actually already have student groups that are made for advocating for students of color. So if, you know, there is that group, then it's always amazing to get involved, to reach out and don't be afraid to reach out to those groups because, you know, anti-racism groups always need more help and support. Um, and basically offering your hand and asking, hey, um, what can I do to help support your mission? I really believe in this and I'm really affected by this as well. Um, so, yeah, I would say to, you know, start small. And if there isn't a space that's already, you know, created for people like you, then create one yourself. Yes, agreed. Um, so I hope for listeners who are interested in becoming activists and, you know, making a change at your school, that all sounds like such great advice. So um, I hope that was helpful for you. 
Uh, well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for talking with me today. I learned so much and I it was kind of cool getting to see behind the scenes of what you do at day and your kind of personal journey with it as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Daisy. It was a pleasure to like speak here and it was a pleasure getting to know you as well. Yay, I'm so glad. Um, but I do like to ask a question at the end of all of my interviews and I would love to hear your insight. So if the whole world was listening to you right now, what would you say? I think I would say, and this is something that I've had to learn as well, especially through my personal life. Maybe this isn't something that has affected me in terms of like my work with advocacy, but it's something that I've really been reflecting upon a lot recently is if this is, if something is weighing down on your mental health, if something is making you actively feel just like not well and off all the time, then it's okay to let go of those things. It's okay to set boundaries, to take a step back um, and to put your mental health first. It's really, really super important to prioritize yourself and the way that you feel. And it's okay to set boundaries and let go of things in a response to that. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave a rating and review and follow or subscribe on the platform you're tuning in from. To see an uncut video version of this episode and any other episode in Season 3, subscribe to The Bright-Eyed Podcast on YouTube. For updates and more inspiring content, follow at The Bright-Eyed Pod on Instagram as well. Tune in next week for another inspiring interview, but until then, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.